So you're on your way to San Diego, and you notice all the signs along the road. So you start thinking to yourself,、hmm. my life is kind of like this road. If only there were signs to tell me what was coming up and where I'm going in life. What if there were something like a million little road signs giving you direction for your life? Well, the Bible is kind of like a million little road signs, God's words given to us to navigate us through this life. We're done. <laughs> well, that's all we're going to talk about today.、Uh, is the Bible? And、uh, good morning. Thank you for battling the、uh, weather today、uh, to get here. And last week I shared with you what our theme was going to be for all of、uh, 2009, and it is a line in 09. So、uh, could you、uh, repeat that、uh, with me? Uh, on three, one, two, three, a line in O nine. And if you would pull out this card, it was in your program when you first walked in. And just so that we all are kind of on the same page, we're going to、uh, go through this together. What we would like to happen: these are four goals that we want every single person、uh, connected to the jar to kind of fulfill、uh, in this year. And so, just so we're all on the same page,、uh, I'll go ahead and read this through, and、uh, you can follow along with me. A line in O nine. The first kind of goal is to spend time with God.、Uh, set aside ten minutes a day、uh, to talk to God through prayer and Bible reading. And last week we talked about prayer, and today we're going to talk about Bible reading. So just ten minutes a day. The second thing is to share in community. Regularly attend Sunday celebrations and be a part of a small group with ten other people. And then the third kind of challenge there: serve the church. Find a way that you can use your talents to serve in the church. And on February 1st, we're going to have our ministry fair, in which we'll have many opportunities for you to be able to find ways that you can serve. So、uh, you'll remember that. And then the last thing there: seek out, pray for two people. Who are not connected with Christ or the church? Now these are two people that you meet with weekly or you see weekly. I'm not talking about somebody you know on the other side of the U.S. or the other side of the world. So put this somewhere where you won't、uh, forget it,、uh, whether it's、uh, you know on the refrigerator or in the bathroom, someplace、uh, where you're at there. Now last week we talked about prayer, and、uh, if you weren't here. At the connections table, there's some CDs and a travel log that will kind of help you uh, if uh, you want to grow in that area of prayer, and so you can pick that up. And today、uh, we're going to talk about、uh, Bible and Bible reading. This is the Bible, and、uh, we are going to、uh, figure out how we can allow this to kind of help us in this thing called life. Now. This particular book is very, very important because it is the one way in which God will always speak to you. Each time that you open this up and you have an open heart to God, He will speak through this because these are His words. But you know, if we're honest with each other, I think what we'd say is that this book can feel very intimidating sometimes. It can be very intimidating. I mean, this is a big book, and sometimes it can feel kind of confusing. I mean, this is a book 
that uh, can be difficult. Plus, if you've ever been to a bookstore before, you'll find that there is a, a particular section of most bookstores, whether Christian or uh, secular stores, in which there are all these Bibles. And you look at all these Bibles and you're like, ugh, like, which one am I supposed to choose? What am I supposed to uh, read? And so, I brought this stack of Bibles here uh, with me from my house and from my office. And I thought we'd just go over a couple of these uh, to see uh, what these are all about. Now, this one right here is the uh, New Living Translation. This is my Bible, my study Bible that I read uh, just about every day. It's a great Bible, and so I'd encourage you that uh, if you want, uh, the New Living Translation can be uh, one of the Bibles uh, that you could uh, pick. Now, this next Bible is the Good News Bible. This Bible was given to me when I first got connected with Christ. Uh, the church that I attended, they gave you a free Bible when you accepted Christ. So, you know, I was pretty young, a teenager, and I thought, man, if it's free, it's got to be good, you know? Because, uh, you know, it's kind of tight. And so uh, I got this book. Now, the other thing I really like about this book is that it has um, pictures in it. Uh, all different pictures, you know, and I figured it had pictures in it, that means I didn't have to read as much. And, uh, you know, so there were pictures. But the pictures in this book are really not that good. For instance, look at this one here. Anybody know who that is? Jesus. You never knew what Jesus looked like before, did you? But there He is. I mean, a two-year-old could have drawn that, okay? Now, here's the second picture. Now, you might not be able to see it all the way in the back, but these are animals, okay? To your far left is an ostrich, and then horses, an eagle, and then the monster. Like, why would you put a monster, you know, to freak somebody out even more? But uh, that was the uh, first book, or first, first Bible that I ever received. Now, here's the next Bible. It's a pink Bible. Some of you guys are looking at me right now and going, hey, wuss boy. This is called the Princess Bible. And this is the first Bible that I got for my daughter, Jordan. And uh, I, my wife was asking me the other day, why did you get that for her? She can't read. And you know what? She can't. And the only kind of vocabulary that she has right now is two short uh, letters. No. And... Uh, she says that all the time. So there's, there's the Princess Bible. Now, this one here is a parallel Bible, and uh, it has the message in the NIV. So it kind of has two different translations. So you can kind of read one and compare it with something else. And uh, I find this to be uh, helpful sometimes also. Now, this, this Bible is a great Bible. Uh, this is a Bible that you can get at the Connections table free of charge if you, uh, you've never got a Bible before and you want to try it out. It's the exact same Bible that I read, just a different cover, uh, the New Living Translation. So uh, you can pick that up uh, over there. Now, what do we got next here? This is the Amplified Bible. And uh, each time that you open this up, it reads like this. And Jesus said... I'm not right, am I? <laughs> 
I mean, I'm really not. Amplified. You don't know how long I thought about that this week. Okay, this next one is called the Manga Bible, and it's kind of a Japanese-style comic strip kind of book, Bible. And uh, Jesus is there, and uh, he kind of looks like a samurai. And um, I, this is kind of a cool Bible. Actually, I've been looking at it lately. And in the Old Testament, probably some of the best parts are the parts where all the blood and guts kind of are. And so um, you can't really see it very well, but there, they, there's a guy named David in the Bible who cuts off Goliath's head. And there's like blood splattered all over the place. So some of you are like, that's a Bible? Yeah, it is. All right, so there's that one. The Magna. Uh, manga Bible, if you want to try that. Now, this one I found in uh, Pastor Isaac's office. It's in a metal detector, or it's, it's metal, maybe detectable, I don't know, and it's locked, like you can't get it open. So, Isaac, I don't know what you've been hiding in here. Where is Pastor? Is he even here? Is he hiding? Oh, there he is. So, he may have been hiding something in here, so... We'll try to pry it open later on, see if we can get some stuff on him. And, um, and then this one here is one that I just bought for my wife. It's for women. It's a magazine uh, uh, Bible. And there's like recipes in this thing. <laughs> like I didn't know we were hurting that bad. We had to put recipes in the Bible, but I, you know, maybe you don't know how to do communion or something, so you got to make the bread. And... Uh, then there's little things on the side, like uh, one of these is, uh, is he a playa? <laughs> I'm just telling you what's on there. And Jen looked at the whole list and said, man, you are. No, I'm joking. But there's ten ways to love your husband uh, in this too. And so, um, you know, those of you that are married, uh, you might want to go buy that because you're going to get good food because recipes and ten ways to love your husband. So... Uh, Guys, you might want to want to get that. All right. Well, those are all the Bibles. And when you go to a bookstore and you see all that, it can get very, very confusing. And it can feel pretty overwhelming. In fact, I think most people, when they uh, look at this book, the first thing that they think about is that, yeah, it's intimidating. I just, I don't want to give it a try. And when you ask them, what is the Bible?, most of the time, people will say, well, it's a whole bunch of these and thous and words that I can't pronounce and uh, tons of rules and regulations. I mean, most people, I think, see this as like a harsh rule book that is trying to kind of beat you down. But folks, it's just not true. Because what the Bible is, is God's love letter to you. And that's our first point. What is the Bible? It's God's love letter to you. Now, how many of you have ever gotten a love letter that's intimidating? Anybody? Good. <laughs> that made my uh, couple uh, middle school students raise theirs. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> well, anyways, most of us don't get ones that are intimidating. And uh, also, you usually don't get one that beats people down, do you? But the reason that you get a love letter is why? It's not rocket science. To show love. 
Somebody wants to show you love. And that's what God did when He created the Bible. He wanted a book that would show you love. And kind of the pinnacle story in this book, the Bible, is when God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come downstairs to hang out with the rest of us so that He would understand everything that we go through, but He was fully God and He was fully man. God in flesh came downstairs. And in fact, the most popular verse in the Bible is John 3.16. We've seen it uh, on different posters in end zones over the past few weeks with college football games and uh, also uh, with uh, all the uh, pro games. And it says this, This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son. And this is why so that no one be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God loved. And He loved so much that He gave. He gave the most precious gift that He could have in His Son that He gave to us free of charge. It's free for you and I, but it came with a cost as He had to go to a cross and took on all of our sins for that. He took your place, and He took my place so that we could go free. So, this love letter, its main focus, isn't just about gaining information or seeing how many uh, verses you can memorize. But the whole point of this love letter is to help point you to Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the very first day of Bible class in seminary, Bible school, when I was doing my master's at Anderson School of Theology. We, we were there, we're sitting down, and I'm already intimidated. And, uh, you know, the professor asked us to turn to a particular passage, and I opened mine, and I turned to it, and mine looked just like this blank, nothing, nothing. I looked, I looked to the guy beside me. And I looked to the other uh, person beside me, and theirs was highlighted all, all over the place. Circled, little common, com- comments on the, uh, you know, margins, everything. Like they had actually read this and thought about it a lot. And, you know, here's my blank page. Now, I confess this, I hate to say it, but the next night, I just went through my Bible and just kind of randomly kind of highlighted, you know. And I came back the next day, and I don't remember what it was, but people were like, oh, man, you know, like he's doing something. Now, this is what I found in my four years of seminary or being in the Bible. A lot of people knew the Bible a lot better than I did. They could highlight it. They circled it. Many of them took Greek, and uh, they could read Greek. I never could. I barely got through that. And they could read Hebrew. They could do all of those things. And they knew a lot about this book. But the problem was that they never got pointed to the person behind the book. And that's Jesus Himself. To point and connect other people to them. They just never did it. They knew a lot about the book. They just didn't know the reason for the word behind the book. And you see, that's the biggest reason why you read the Bible, folks. It's not so, you know... You make yourself feel good or you can check that off your list. But so you get connected more with the one who knows you best and loves you most. And that's Jesus Christ 
himself. And so the key to this is not just to know more about it, but to get, the, to, get to know the person behind it. That's why Jesus said this one day. He said, the Scriptures should point to me. Now, studying this book is important, but it's more than just studying. It's getting to the love letter, to getting to know the one who really does know you best and love you most. And the reason to read the Bible is so that you get pointed and connected to the Lord of the earth and of heaven. So the Bible is God's love letter to you. Here's the second thing. The Bible is God's light for your path. The Bible is God's light for your path. Anyone ever been in a real, real dark woods before and you didn't have a flashlight? Anyone experienced that before? Yeah, not very fun. Um, My experience was with ten elementary-aged kids Uh, I was a counselor at a church camp. I had ten boys. There was a house mother who had ten girls. And one night they all said, "Uh, man, we want to go to uh, the woods. We want to go outside. And it was just dusk. And I'm like, all right, that's great. And so we all went out there. But guess what I didn't bring? Flashlight. We get out there. And all of a sudden, kids start stumbling over the roots. They're skinning their knees. They're crying. They're screaming for mommy and daddy. I'm, you know, helping things out by going, ooh, you know, and freaking them out even more. And and all these kids kids are scared to death. And it could have have been been prevented if I had brought a flashlight. Now the Bible says this. Your words are a a flashlight to to, to light path ahead of me. And keep me stumbling. See, see, this book, book is a flashlight. And, and whatever there is in your life, you can take take book, book. And as you go to go, go you can go and go. And as, and as you open, it light light on the, on the places in your life. And, and it also helps you from stumbling in the future. There's, there's self-help, help, help, do, do. But this, this book really can't. Can. So that's what the Bible is. It is God's love letter to you. And it's a light will help you as you walk through through called called called. This is the second question we'll often have regarding the Bible. And it's this. How is it organized? I mean, how is it organized? I mean, it's not like a novel... And it's not like an autobiography in which you can start with page one and you can just read all the way through it. I mean, it's not, you know, neat and tidy and in chronological order to where you can just go through the whole thing. So you have to ask yourself, well, how is it organized? Well, the Bible is organized in two testaments. There are two testaments. There's the Old Testament, the first half, and the New Testament, the second half. And that word testament simply means it is an agreement or a contract. That's what that word testament means, that it's an agreement or a contract. So the Old Testament, the first half of the book, is an agreement with a certain group of people. And that group of people is called Israel or the Israelites. You've seen a lot uh, in the news over the past uh, few weeks. 
And and new agreement then is an agreement not just for a particular, particular group of people, but for all identity. And what the new, new Testament does, or the new volume does, that it, it helps to cover all, all the prophecies, all the promises, all the predictions that were, that were in the Old Testament. In fact, did you know this? That Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies or promises from the Old Testament. 700 years before that, Jesus himself, when he came to earth, he fulfilled those prophecies that were 700 years old. 300 of them uh, in all. Also, like I said, the Bible is not a novel. It's not something that you can start at the beginning and go to the end. But it's more like a collection of books. It's a collection of books. But it's not just any collection of books. It's kind of an odd kind of collection of books. Because think of the different authors. There is history and poetry. There's mystical writings. And there are several different letters. And the remarkable thing is that all of these authors write on the same theme. And it's just remarkable. Now, for many of us, the biggest question that we have is like, okay, I know about the Bible and love letter, good deal, you know, all that stuff. And I know kind of how it's organized. But my question is, why is this so important? I mean, why is it so important that I should take time uh, each day to read it? I mean, for many of us, we've heard that the Bible is not reliable, that it's not trustworthy, that there's contradictions in it all the time. And we think, well, why is it so important? I mean, one of my favorite questions that I often get asked by people who are trying to, you know, stump the pastor is usually because uh, they don't think the Bible is very reliable. And so they'll come up to me, and this is the question they always ask me. Okay, smarty pants, Jesus dude, pastor, where did Cain get his wife? And this is my response. Well, if the Garden of Eden was anything like my mom's side of the family in Perry County, Kentucky, it's not a big deal. (laughs) No, no emails, okay? No, no, just a joke, folks. Just a little humor there, okay? Okay, okay. But the real question underneath questions that we have about reliability and trustworthiness is this. Can it, can it be trust, is it trustworthy? I mean, having, having has changed since writers first wrote it. Wrote it. Because if they did, did, did words, words have changed, then maybe it's so important. Now, just a sidebar, one thing that I find really, really interesting is this is there are far more historical documents and manuscripts that attest to the life of Jesus Christ and the New Testament than there are of Julius Caesar. And we've accepted Julius Caesar and his story and his writings more than almost any other in history. Also, it's been studied by archaeologists for years and has been verified by most of the recent uh, discoveries that there is validity in the New Testament, that it's valid, that it's true. I mean, you know, people aren't going out trying to dig for other 
kind of books to see if they're true. That only happens with the Bible because each time they've found it to be true. I mean, 300 prophecies, folks, that Jesus fulfilled has been historically proven. There are 66 books written by over 40 different authors. Most of them didn't have a clue of the other person, and yet they all kind of wrote on a particular theme, the same thing. And, I mean, just think about it. Try to get 40 people in Delaware County, okay, to write about something that's the same. You couldn't get 40 people from your own family to do that. And yet, it happened over this span of time. Now, here's some other irony that I found for you historical buffs that uh, watch the History Channel all the time. And it's this. The wealthy mathematician and philosopher Voltaire, uh, who wrote in the 1700s, this is what he said. In the 1700s, he said this. In a hundred years, the Bible will be a forgotten book found only in museums. You know what happened a hundred years later? Voltaire's house was purchased and occupied by the Geneva Bible Society. Isn't that wild? Now, like I said before, the Bible is more important than just any other book. It's not just a book of information. It's not just a philosophy about a person. The words in this book, by its own admission, is that this book is God-breathed. That God breathed in it. The Bible says this, Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, Exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. And the Bible goes on to say this. The Word of God, the Bible, is living and powerful. You see, Voltaire had it wrong. This isn't a book that's in a museum collecting dust somewhere and dying. But it's a book that is alive and it's living and it wants to give abundance and hope for your life. Friends, this book is infused and steeped and saturated with power. That's why when you ask the question, why is the Bible so important, Bunch? Because it's powerful. And how do I know it's powerful? Because it has the power to change your life. It's changed my life, and it can change your life if you give it a chance. Fifteen years ago, I started the calling of my life to be a pastor. I was only 22 years old, and I had very little knowledge, information, and hadn't even read the Old Testament before. And this little country church in western Indiana was desperate. And they're like, well, your dad was a pastor, so you probably can't screw us up too much, you know. But I I wasn't like my dad. I didn't know anything about the Bible whatsoever. And I remember sitting there uh, on my desk for that very uh, first time, and I just kind of sat there on the very first day, November 1st. I'll never forget this. November 1st, 1993. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? Because I didn't know anything. And so I, I looked over and I saw 
a Bible and I picked it up and I thought, you know what? God, I know that the way to get to know you better is by understanding this book. And so I'm going to have a little deal with you. If I take the time to get to know this book and I read it and I let you speak to me through it, you help me each week when I have to get up on Sunday to teach. And I remember opening that book. And I didn't open it for a quick fix or information or anything else, but I said, God, I need your power so I can do something when Sunday comes. And there was a burning in my heart that began on that week and has continued all the way through each time I connect with this book. And it was so powerful for me. It was like the words of Jesus just kind of leapt off the page and kind of just grabbed me and said, Chris, this is what I think about you, and this is what I want other people to know. And I learned more and more and more about it because I wanted to get closer to this guy named Jesus. And before long, I even was like, you know what, God? I want to know these words so that I don't even have to look at a book if it's ever taken away. But I would know it. And so I started memorizing scriptures. And the very first scripture that I looked at was John 3.16 that we talked about before. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I remember kind of being kind of proud, actually, the first verse I remember. I was like, Whoa, I know that one that I always look and go, John 3.16, no clue. Why is that in the end zone, you know? John, did he have three brothers, 16, you know, sisters? You know, I don't know. But I looked at it and I was like, man, I know that now. And I kept looking down. I thought, well, I don't want to just know that. I want to know that next verse, John 3.17, because it says this. God didn't go to all of the trouble of sending His one and only Son into the world simply to point an accusing finger at you and I, telling us how bad we are, but He came to help to put the world right again. And I learned right then that this book wasn't just a love letter, but it was a book of power. It was a helpful, powerful book. It had the power to help me in my life, just like it can you. This is a powerful book. The type of power that can help you in any situation. Marriage, depression, discouragement, job loss, children, whatever. It's here. Now, I'll be honest. Sometimes, though, this book makes me feel very uncomfortable. It does. It convicts me in ways that I wish it wouldn't convict me and makes me think about my thoughts and how I act in ways that I would just rather be the way I am. But it always attracts me back to wanting to look more and more like Jesus who loved and cared for people just where they were. Because this book is power. It's not just a philosophy. Now I'm sure at this point some of you are thinking, well, what does this book have the power to do? I mean, what can this book really do? Why is it so powerful? Well, simply put, it has the power to defeat your greatest enemy. It has the power to defeat your greatest enemy. And let me just tell you folks, your greatest enemy is not humans, okay? It's not your spouse, it's not your ex-spouse, it's not your ex-ex-spouse, okay? 
It's not your uh, sister. It's not your brother. It's not your dad. It's not your biological dad. It's not your boss. It's not your neighbor. It's not the neighbor down the road that you really don't like. Okay? And it's not even the person from high school that you hated. Okay? That's not your biggest enemy. Your greatest enemy, the Bible tells us, is the, the one who is the enemy of all things. And that's Satan himself. You see, the biggest battles that you face typically happen in your brain or in your heart, and both of those are coming from somebody who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what Satan wants to do. We don't talk about Satan here a whole lot because we don't want to freak everybody out, but Satan exists, folks, and he's real, and he's a great enemy to you. He's your greatest enemy. But there is a weapon that can defeat Satan. And that weapon is right here. It's the Bible. In fact, the Scripture says this, Be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. And then it goes on to talk about a helmet and a breastplate and uh, you know a shield and shoes and all kinds of stuff. And use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy. Take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. The only offensive weapon that is mentioned in this big long list is the Bible. It's the only offensive weapon that it shares. Now, the guy who wrote those words was a guy by the name of Paul. And he wrote over half of the New Testament. He was one of uh, Jesus' closest followers. And when he talks about a sword, he's not talking about a big samurai sword, okay, that can kind of... Slice and dice you real quick, okay? But he's talking about a smaller type sword. He's talking about a sword that is kind of double-edged. A double-edged type of sword. And the reason he talks about this is because it can do damage in both directions. It can do damage in both directions. And in Jesus' day, when there was infighting, and there were wars that were going on, uh, uh, they didn't have this big long sword that they'd use. They'd use something like this because it was smaller and they could get in and they could cut and they could turn the other person because it was double-edged. Now some of you are going, Bunch, put that back in. We're scared, man. Now I'll make you read the Bible. No, I'm joking, okay. But in the same way, the Bible... It's just like that. It's a sword. And it can cut out attitudes and behaviors and thoughts that are destructive to your life. You can slice and dice the lies of the enemy. You've all experienced this before. These thoughts that come to your head that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy of God's love, that you'll never become anything. All of those things come from Satan. Not from God, not from yourself, but from Him. And this has the power to get rid of it. And also, you can cut out the nonsense of the world. Because the world tells you how to be successful, how to be wealthy. Make sure you have more and more and more stuff. And this can help you to say it's not about that. It's about the relationship with the one who knows you best and loves you most. Friends, the Bible is not just about information, but it's a powerful weapon. 
a weapon that can help you get through damage that comes to your life when there's lies and discouragement and depression that hits your life. I've shared this story before, but in 1998, I experienced the worst season of my life. I had been at a church for about five years, knew everybody in town, because there were only 2,000 people. There were more hogs than people in that town. And uh, I knew everybody. And there was this loving family environment. The church had doubled in size uh, just in four short years. Everything was great. And then God kind of said, no, we want you to move to Muncie. And so we moved here to Muncie. I didn't know a single person in this whole town. And uh, I started my academic career, and I was scared to death because I hadn't been in school in five years. And I had no idea about all these things that they were teaching us uh, in school. I was failing most of my classes. Eventually, I had to drop out of some of those. Jennifer was in residency. I never saw her at all. And it was just a painful, difficult time in my life, the worst time of my life. I was ready to throw in the towel. And from my perspective, I was all alone and no one cared. Not even God. God had forgotten me. He would kind of taken Chris Bunch and he would put him on the shelf, the cosmic shelf, and he had just kind of walked away from me and said, deal with life on your own. And I remember I would get home, uh, or I would leave from Anderson each day. And when I would leave, I would um, sit in my car And when I'd get ready to drive, I just felt like there was this dark kind of cloud that was sitting right beside me. And when I'd get home, I'd be so overwhelmed and anxious about everything in life that I would sit over the toilet uh, literally for minutes on end having dry heaves, just just everything coming out of me. It's called my 40 days and 40 nights. I journaled all the time with it. And finally, after the 40th kind of night of this, I said, I can't do this anymore. And I got some counseling, some help, some medication, but I'll tell you, the thing that helped me the most was I started crying out to God. You see, over those five years, I had memorized some Scripture verses. And so what I would do is, each time I would get in my car, I'd leave from Anderson and I'd travel up I-69, and I'd just start shouting out these Scripture verses reminding me of who I really am. That my Heavenly Father really thinks this about me, and this is what He's going to do in my life. I'm sure I look like a crazy man going down I-69, you know, God, you know, all this kind of stuff. But I did that for almost that entire first semester. And I would just say, God, regardless of what I feel, regardless of what my emotional state is right now, I'm believing on you. And here's some Scripture verses. God, you promised that you would never leave me, that you would never abandon me. God, greater are you who is in my life than he that is in the world. That I am like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season. God, I know my season is coming. Things aren't always going to be this bad, God. I know my season is coming. Or I know that, God, all things work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Or, God, you said, I've never quit loving you, Chris. Expect love 
Love and more love. For the Lord wants to do something new and different in your life. And He wants it to happen now. And maybe the one that I mentioned more than anything else, the last words that Jesus ever spoke is this. He said, I will never leave you. I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. And I'm just telling you, folks, what I just gave you right there is something you should keep. Put it somewhere when your tough times come, you remind yourself of who you are and whose you are. Because tough times will come. And for some of you, you're going through it right now. And you want to remember what God thinks about you and what He says. Well, this book, for many of you, is a big book. And um, you don't know where to start. How do I do this? How do I begin? So I want to close by just giving you some quick practical things. And if you would, I'd invite you to pull out your little travel log for this week. It's a little brown piece right here. And we've got some next steps uh, for each of you. Now, the first step is, folks, just start reading. Just start reading. And some of you might be asking, well, you know, where do I start? I don't know where to start. Do I start in Genesis? No, because you'll get to chapter 5 and then you'll read, and Seth begat Zogath, and Bogath begat Bugath, and you'll be like, I don't have a clue. I'm done. So you start in Mark, okay? In Mark. And uh, we are all going to be starting in Mark, starting tomorrow. It's the shortest of all the books that focus on Jesus Christ, on the good news of His life. And together we're going to be journeying through this. And I'm going to give you two months to read 16 chapters. Guaranteed, you never had that much time in high school or college, okay? But 16 uh, chapters in two months. We're going to go through Mark. And we're going to do Monday through Friday... I'm such a good teacher, I'm going to give Saturday and Sunday off, okay? And uh, if you want to read, you can, but uh, you don't have to. And we're going to go through the Bible, journeying through the Bible, and we're going to have a devotional for every single Scripture so you can understand it. And if you haven't given us your email yet, we'll send it to you tomorrow. I've already written the first one on uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. And you can read that, and then you can say, hey, what's Sponge got to say? And then you go... I don't agree with him, and that's all right, you know. But you'll get to learn it. And it'll only take you five to ten minutes to do it all. Now, for others of you, you might have questions on, uh, well, how's the Bible translated? You know, is it really reliable? I want to dig a little bit deeper. Why all the translations? Now, don't get on some chat room where you're going to get freaked out by people who aren't, maybe aren't even Christian. But what I'd like you to do is the next step that you guys could take. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. You can just read that. It's right here. You don't have to write it down. Um, you can do that. But I'm telling you that uh, when you begin this road trip, guys, the biggest thing is just start reading. Just take the challenge. Two-month challenge. Say, you know what? I'm going to do it. And uh, my life isn't better at the end of the two, year, two months. You can quit. Okay? 
And if you're not sure how to read the Bible, how to prepare for that, in your program there's kind of a, a trip, uh, uh, some tips on how to do that. Friends, the Bible is God's love letter. He gives it to you. It's to help you kind of guide your way through this thing called life. And it has the power to change your life. And I'm just telling you, as you read it this week, God will breathe into you new things. And uh, you'll understand it more, and there'll be new life. Thank you.